This Coach Me Up podcast is powered by our friends at One Country. Every month, One Country members are entered into amazing giveaways that do great stuff. Each giveaway gives back to a great cause because One Country believes that when you get, you give. Visit onecountry.com slash coach to become a member and get your first month free. Again, go to onecountry.com slash coach and experience winning that gives back. Also, our friends at Blue Delta Jeans. They make the best fitting, most comfortable jeans in the world because they are uniquely made for you and only you. Raw denim jeans, custom fit and hand tailored in Tupelo, Mississippi. One size fits one at bluedeltajeans.com. Hey, welcome again to the Coach Me Up podcast. I'm Jimmy Dykes. My co-host is Chris Burke, and man, we have a phenomenal guest on again with us today, David Pollack. You guys know him as one of the superstars right now at ESPN, covering college football with three-time All-American at the University of Georgia. And Man, David's going to get into some great topics with us today. He's going to talk about some college football news going on as we begin the season, the toughness and tenderness of Jesus how we treat our wives, how we talk to our wives, how important that communication is, some really cool key things that we all need to think about and dig our heels into. Anytime you're with David Pollock, you're going to have to dig your heels in. It could be a wild ride. So buckle up and let's get going. David, man, we are so thankful and so blessed for you to take time to to spend time with us. College football season just around the corner and you're going to be rocking and rolling. You're one of the top voices in in all of college football. I mean, I, I, I love learning from you, first of all, and we're going to learn from you today. We're, we, we want you to coach us up, David, on just some life topics, some faith topics, some football topics, and just uh, kind of step to the front of the room like we're in a film room, man. You're the head coach, and we're just going to listen to you for a while. But what, what? just give me a couple of the big storylines right now, David, as we get ready for this 2022 season. What are they? Well, I think uh, Bama on, on their quote-unquote redemption tour, um, you know, they don't lose a lot, and they finished second last year, and they return the best offensive player in college football, the best defensive player in college football. Not only they've recruited like a fiend every year, but they've also transfer portaled a bunch of players that they brought in that they're going to need to win next year. So Bama will be one. And I think just the landscape of college football and expansion, like – you know, you've seen it that USC and UCLA are joining the the Big Ten. And that's obviously, you know, geography and and, and rivalries and all that stuff kind of goes out the window. Um, but college football is going to continue to expand and grow. And I think at some point in the near future, we're going to be at huge mega conferences. It's just a matter of how many that we get down to. But um, the landscape is definitely changing. And um, the world in college football obviously has shifted a lot over the last several years. One of the things I love about listening to you, David, is it's very obvious you're not afraid to have an opinion. I appreciate that about you. I respect that about you. So on that topic, the landscape of college football, like you're the commissioner. You just got named tomorrow. What would be your first order of business? I would fix the transfer portal right now because y'all know as well as I do, I went to college, bro, 45 minutes down the road from my house. 45 and I wanted to come home. So everybody's going to want to come home. Everybody's going to hit those situations where I don't know the school. I don't know where food is. I don't know how to get to class. My coaches suck because they're new and they're coaching me harder than I've ever been coached before. Like we all go through that and you've got to learn and you've got to learn how to handle it and learn expectations and learn how to manage them. And then you push through and you start to become more comfortable with your situation. So I would have the transfer portal. I'm not saying get rid of it, 
I would open the transfer portal up after the season, after I've been through my crap, after I've been through my learning, my growing pains, my my yeah. tough part of my schedule. So I have to stick it out. So coaches aren't worried about recruiting their own players the whole year and worrying about who's going to leave and who's not happy. Like we know we're all in this together. The season's over, dude. You don't get along. You don't fit. You know good and well this is not the place for you. Fine. Open the transfer portal up. You can take off now. Coaches know what they're dealing with from the roster standpoint. You know what you're dealing with with your future. You can start to look into stuff. So I would immediately, you know, find a way to close the transfer portal and open it once or twice a year, um, depending on how you look at it. Hmm. And yeah. doesn't real quick, Jimmy, does doesn't it feel like because you know, I'm a baseball guy. Jimmy's a basketball guy. You're a football guy. All those, we're talking college sports, all those have different seasons where the portal is super impactful, right? So, and I know that there's been a lot of talk lately about college football basically just kind of being its own entity, which it kind of feels like it's trending towards. Uh, if you were commish, like, what, wouldn't you think that that needs a college football transfer portal? open and close as opposed to just all college sports? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's exactly what I would do. And then I, I mean, the next thing I would do, I was, I'd visit the NIL too and make sure that we're taking care of kids and we have it structured mm. in a way that, listen, the bottom line is there's gotta be a way for players to get representation. There's gotta be a way for players to understand what they're going through and what they're trying, how to maximize their value, how to not tie it to future. I've mm -hmm. got to do X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. By the way, we can talk about all these deals you want, bro. We can talk about all the deals you want. I'm going to make $7 million. Bull crap. If it's tied to you being on the roster and you being a starter and you being X, Y, and Z, you could make nothing. It's just like the NFL signing bonuses. I, mm -hmm. I was I was one of them. If I'm on, I got a roster bonus year three, year four, year five. Well, I broke my neck year two. You think I'm getting that roster bonus year five? So my signing bonus looks grand and it looks mm -hmm. great, but... It also was tied to things that I had to be a part of that, unfortunately, I wasn't able to accomplish. I want to come back to that injury you had, David, but I, I, you were a three-time All-American Defensive Player of the Year. Man, you, you were a phenomenal player at the University of Georgia. But if you could go back and do it again, what would you do differently on or off the field, either, either one? I love these questions. I absolutely love these questions. I ask them all the time to, to people I know, to people that have been through my journey and they're going through journeys of their own with kids and stuff. Um, I wouldn't change a thing about uh -huh. my football journey because I, I love what I poured into it and, and what I accomplished. And by the way, that being said, Jimmy, I played I played fullback my first six six weeks on campus. I moved to defensive tackle because everybody got hurt. Everybody got drafted in, in after the uh, season. And so I moved to defensive end. I played three positions in six months, seven, eight months on campus. Wow. So it's not like it was, oh, my God, this was the most easy thing ever. And right away, I just slid into my home. I tell people all the time, like, you know, wherever you're at, go maximize it. You know, and you've heard it, like, bloom where you're planted. Mm -hmm. Like, where your feet are, be there. And – you know, that's one thing that I, I think I did a pretty good job of. One thing that I did a horrible job of was school. I wish I would have done a lot better job in school, going to class, paying attention, making it a priority. Because, you know, I did. I, I, I knew after my sophomore year I was going to go play in the NFL, but I also didn't know what was next. I thought I was going to play for 10, 15 years. I didn't think mm. I was going to break my neck and my career be over like that. And then you're going, 
emoji shrug, like, what the heck am I going to do? You know, like I, I didn't, I didn't have a clue. And um, so I think I would have paid more attention to, to school. And I think I would have probably handled myself, you know, differently um, off the field. I, I would have plugged into, I'd have been a more positive influence. I'd have spent more time with, um, with, with charities, with community. I, I'd have done a better job with that as well. Mm. So you've, you've talked about breaking your neck a couple of times and um, it's interesting. This is a crazy, our paths cross story. You would, you would never know this, but a buddy of mine, one of, literally one of my best friends is Carson Palmer's agent. So uh, we went up to watch him play. So I, I got drafted in 01. I, you know, your all season was my off season. So we used to go up to Cincinnati and watch Carson Palmer play like in my off seasons. Um, and one of the years uh, was the, I think it was the year you broke your neck. And I actually remember seeing you in the suites. We were up in Carson's box. I remember seeing you in the suites uh, with your neck brace on. And I, as a t- guy who went to Tennessee and followed Southeastern Conference football, like I remembered you very well as a player. And here I was like right in the start of my career and, you know, healthy as a horse. And I remember looking at you like, it's crazy the stuff you remember like that. Like, why would I really have a vivid remembrance of that? But I, like, I really remember watching you walk around with a neck brace on and having uh, compassion's not a strength of mine. But I had like, a, I was just looking at you like, man, that is rough, you know. And then I kind of lost touch up with you for a while. I was off doing my thing, and next thing you know, you're on ESPN. So I would love to hear you unpack number one, just. Just the story. This I know you've said it a million times, so forgive us. But I think some of our listeners will hear it for the first time. And then what God God taught you through that season? Um, well, it's it's interesting because I tell people all the time, and this sounds I know it sounds crazy even coming out of my mouth again. But okay, so I first I'll tell tell the story. Uh, I'm going into my second season. It was the second play of the second game. And I had a goal. I wanted to be a physical thumper. I wanted to get better at being more physical. And I dropped back. It was a draw play, so I think it was pass. I dropped back a couple steps, and I come up, and I smashed the running back with everything I have. And it was the first time that after I hit him, I went down, and I couldn't move my body from my waist up. And so I knew something was wrong, but it felt like when you fall asleep on your hands and your hands are asleep and you're just kind of, you're kind of wigging out for a second. You're like, dude, mm-hmm. wake up, wake up, wake up. And they and they yeah. didn't. Um, they didn't wake up, and, and it was strange. And they took me under the ex the uh, stadium, and they cut off my pads and my stuff, and they got me an MRI. And they're like, hey, within within an hour, I knew, like, hey, you you fractured your C six C seven. And I was like, what's that? A couple of weeks? You know, no big deal. He's like, no, 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 no. That means you broke your neck. And I was like, ooh, can we stick to the fractured C seven? Because that sounds a lot cooler than a broken neck. That's for dang sure. Um, Mm. and and then, and then it was straight there, you know, in the ambulance. Um, and and I'll never forget, man. I mean, I, I, from when I was six years old, my dream was to play in the NFL, play in the NFL, play in the NFL. And along the way, I got so many pats on the head, right? Like, oh yeah, so does everybody else. Um, and, and it's amazing what, and I tell people all the time, like, don't ever let people tell you what you can and can't do because God can do amazing things through small Mm -hmm. people. And we can go through the Bible and, and share those stories at nauseum. Um, about what is what's God done mm-hmm. in so many people's lives, and, and so within an instant, you know, football now was gone, and so I lost 
millions of dollars. I lost fame. I lost the sport that I loved the absolute most in my life. And I can tell you, Jimmy and Chris, without a shadow of a doubt, that is the greatest thing that ever happened to me in my life. The greatest thing. Hmm. Because wow. I've never, you, you want to know, who, you wanna know who's in your, your corner really quickly for the right reasons? You, you want to know who's going to go through life, man, and pick up their sword and fight with you? You want to know, uh, like, you want to know about patience? You want to know about, uh, like, hard days and how to fight through them and persevere? Man, that made me a better husband. That made me a better dad. That made me better, a better son. That made me better in every aspect of my future life by going through something like that. Like, God literally you know, put that on my plate and, and took football out of my life and, and said, the Bible says, be still and know that I am God. I have never done that in my life up to that point. Mm-hmm. I was, if I had 10 minutes, I'm going to run a mile. I had 20 minutes, I'm going to work out, blah, blah, blah. I ain't being still. And God mm-hmm. said, no, 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 bro, you're going to be still. And I got to hear from him and I got to see what life looked like. And listen, I had no clue ESPN was coming. I had no clue whatsoever, nor did I ever think, I, I didn't like the media. I don't know about y'all, but I was like, man, they're obnoxious. Like I'm not a yeah. big fan of the media all the time. And um, so literally, you know, it happened just like that one day, one play and, and my whole world was changed. But, but I look back now and I'm like, dang, I got Leah and I got Nicholas, my two precious babies. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm this close to not having them. And, and I get to tell them my story and I get to show them what it looked like mm-hmm. to have dark days and, and tell my story to my high school athletes. I coach high school football now here in Athens, and I get to tell my story and try to tell them to appreciate life and appreciate what they have. So um, it was definitely a, it was a dark day that turned into a lot of light for me. That's how God works. That is exactly how God works. I, I, I want to ask you something that um, Buzz Williams, a head coach at uh, Texas A&M, uh, talking to him recently, and he said, he was asked the question, how do you want to be remembered? And I love his answer. I want to get your answer to this. But he, but he said, I want to be famous in my own home. I was like, wow, that's, hmm. that's going to be hard to top. Hmm. Like, that's going to be hard to top as a, as, a, as, a, as a follower of the way right now, as a believer in Christ and what we're called to do. How, how would you answer that, David? How do you want to be? I know you're young. You got everything in, a lot in front of you. But how do you want to be remembered? That's flipping fantastic, by the way. I, I love that. I love that answer. Um, you know, it's funny. Isn't that a great answer? It's a great answer. But I, it's funny because I asked my kids this the other day because I was listening to a sermon and it was a really awesome. And it, and it was talking about what do you want to be known for? And I sat down with my son and my daughter and I'm like, what do you want to be known for? Like when, you, when, you're, when your buddies go home and your parents, the parents that go home that meet you and your teachers go home from school, like, what do they want? What do you want them to say about Leah Pollock? What do you want them to say about Nicholas Pollock? And, and I talked to my kids and my, my son was like, well, what do you say, daddy? And, and I say the word that always comes to mind for me is authentic. Like I want to be authentic. I want to be someone in your life that I want to be authentic. I want to be a, po- a positive, a positive person in your life. Like somebody that is always going to be there, somebody that's always going to fight for you, somebody that's going to tell you what they think, but not what you want to hear all the time. I take a lot of pride in being a person that like, I, I had years ago, I had a buddy that 
We went on a trip, and I'm not obviously would never give out his name. We went on a trip, man. Uh, me and him and a couple other couples, all adult trip. And at the airport, he 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 said a couple things to his wife. And and a couple years later, or not a couple, a couple days later, I, I prayed about it. And I was like, how do I want to say this? A couple days later, man, I called him and I was like, listen, this has been on my heart. And I just want to tell you, like, you you don't talk to your wife like that. Like, we don't. That's the most important person on this earth in our life. Like. You have to, you cannot use those words. You cannot do that in front of other people. Like you, you, you can't do that. And, and I, that's what, that's what I want to take a lot of pride in is being somebody who's authentic. That's always pushing you to be the best version of you. That's always, I'm, I'm always cheering you on. I'm always positive. I don't, I don't, I don't want to cause you to stumble in any way, shape or form, but I want to be that friend that when you got something going on, man, you know, no judgment. Cause I've screwed up so many things, but I'm going to shoot you straight and I'm, I'm going to be real with you. And you might not want to hear it, mm. but it's something that hopefully you go, man, that's what mm. I needed to hear. Mm. Man, Clear is awesome. kind, right? Clear is kind. We got, we got a lot of people in this world that they have, they have a hard time with confrontation. And the reality is it's, man, give it to me. If I'm, if I got a blind spot somewhere, I need, I'd rather you tell me than not. Right. That's uh that's 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 what friendship's all about. You mentioned that you're now coaching high school football. I know that at one point last year, Herb Street was praising your middle school football team. So I'm currently coaching. I coach a middle school football team and a third and fourth grade football team. Let's go. Get ready, coach David. Me up. Just, just David, coach, get ready. Coach me Here up. We now, go. we're not going to talk about football. We're not going to talk about football <laughs> necessarily. We're going to talk about coach me up on how somebody that played the game at the highest level makes – coaching football more than just about the X's and O's. F-U-N. Fun. It ain't got nothing to do with trying to make our kids. You are way more likely to turn kids off than you are to make them a superstar or make them something special. Like, everything has to be fun. Like, you, you need to make it like jumping with them as much as you can, like joke with them as much as you can, get to know them as much as you can. But like the game is supposed to be fun. Listen, I, Chris, I want them to learn the same lessons you want them to learn. I want them to learn about toughness and how to lose, how to win, how to block, learn the skills. But man, you control your attitude, kids, and you control your effort. That's it. You don't control whether you win. You don't control whether you lose. And, and here's another thing, too, with young kids. Why are we putting the emphasis on results? Why are we like, why do we say like, why, when a kid gets in the car, why do we, hey, that was an awesome touchdown. That's not what I'm about when I get in the car. Like when I get in the car with my kids, I'm like, listen, listen, first of all, I love you. Whether you sucked or you were the best player on the field. I love you so much. I love watching you play. Did you try your hardest? Yes, sir. Did you have fun? Yes, sir. That's all that matters. Like, I just, I think we, we overcomplicate it with so many things, but like, we want this to be something where they embrace a journey and they love to, they learn to love the work and they learn to love teammates. And to do that, why, here's a thing, Chris, why are we conditioning? I coached my kid since he was five years old, all the way to 12 U. Now he's in eighth grade and I'm, I'm coaching with high school. Why do we condition? Why do, why do we get on the line and run up and down and, and make it miserable for them to condition? Practice harder, be a better coach. Keep them, keep them entertained, keep them in drills, break into small groups and help them work skills and individual things. But I can promise you this, if it's always about results and it's always about the X, Y, and Z, here's what happens with kids. They play not to fail. They play with fear of failure. But when you say, dude, 
Mm-hmm. I circle my kids up before every game and I say, hey guys, who's going to mess up? And I make all of them raise their hand. And I raise my hand too because I'm like, I'm going to mess up as your coach today. Mess up full speed, dude. Mess up 4,000 miles an hour, having a blast. Smile, celebrate with your teammates. Like have fun because that's what playing sports is. Playing sports and being a young kid, it's about fun. Now, I love I love what you just said about the who's going to mess up because I, I talk to them all the time. I need grace. You need grace. Like, I'm going to coach you, but I'm going to mess up too. So let's let's uh, let's just give each other grace back and forth, you know, because we, we got to have it. It's a beautiful Christian principle of of, of being a good teammate. Um, no, that's that's beautiful. Tim Corbin, real quick, Jimmy, Tim Corbin, what you just said about why do we line up and just run, right? Tim mm-hmm. Corbin, the famous head baseball coach at Vanderbilt, has won two national championships, told me t- one time, first of all, he doesn't call it practice training. They don't practice at Vanderbilt. They train. Uh, but he said, so I always give him a hard time about that. But he said, we never run for punishment. Running is part of what makes you a great player. You should want to run. We So he's like, if, if our dudes get in trouble, they uh, they they clean the weight room. They vacuum the team room. Like, that's what our kids do when they get in trouble. It's like, when, when we are training, we run. And it's and if we're ever going to do just pure running, like you're saying, there's ways to do running that isn't just get on the line and run, right? Yeah. But I just, that really shaped me. He told me about six, seven years ago when I was just on the front part of my coaching journey. And I was like, man, I am writing that down. I'm circling that one. Mm-hmm. Like, we, we're not going to, I don't want you to view running as a punishment. It's part of your yeah. craft. Nope. So anyway, I love that. I love that. Yeah. David, I, uh, I I view you as a tough guy, okay? But that my my definition of tough is different than a lot of people's. Um, but Jesus was also he was tough. He was tender, but he was tough. That that word tough or toughness is on every practice facility that I walk into across the country in college basketball on a wall somewhere. That mm. that word toughness resonates in college basketball, college baseball, college football, in life, on down the line. Coach us up on toughness. Tell us what that really means. I think it just means strong enough to to withstand adversity. You know, you're just, you're somebody that doesn't blink. You're somebody that no matter what comes your way, um, whether it be mental, whether it be physical, whether whatever it is, whatever comes your way, you look at the situation and you go, let's handle it. You don't run. A lot of people run. A lot of people look at a situation, they run. A lot of people look at a situation, make excuses. Every situation that comes my way, I'm able to sit up, own it like a man, wear it, and go get it and go attack it. Like that's, that to me sums up. And I, and I love what you said about Jesus because so many people look at Jesus and think passive. He was passive. He was meek. We hear about meek. Mm. The meek mm. shall inherit the earth. Meek is a is a yep. meek is strength. Meek is not something that's a ne- that's not a mm. negative. That's a great mm. thing. And, and Jesus showed passion. You know, Jesus showed power. But Jesus also got frustrated when he came in the temple and flipped tables over. Like, you know, it, it, he wasn't just a guy that mm. walked. Through. I mean, think about what Jesus did in all these situations. Jesus changed the way we looked at women. He changed the way we looked at poverty. Mm-hmm. He changed the yeah. way we looked mm-hmm. at everybody. That's yeah. not a position. That's not meek. Mm-hmm. But I, but I think that I, I think we misconstrue that sometimes in how we look at it. But 
I, I think, mm. um, you know, when you look at Jesus' example and, and how tough he was on the cross, you look at his example, how tough he was to stand in the face of people and preach about hell. Like, are, are you kidding me? Like, that's not a, that's not a fun topic to approach. Like, and the way he handled his disciples, <laughs> no. he led. So I, I think that I think that word can be used differently, but not nah, toughness is definitely something mental, physical toughness that you'll see in every locker room and you'll talk about it in every locker room. And by the way, you're going to need it in your life because you're going to have to have that. And that's why I think everybody loves sports so much because it brings up real life situations of how I'm going to have to handle adversity and those things when they come my way. My, my college head coach, and what Chris to jump back in here, Eddie Sutton, who's a Hall of Famer, he, he was tough, tough, old school tough. But he used to tell us he wanted, he wanted us to be the toughest team always on the floor. And he said, here's what I mean by that. We do what's right when it's hard to do what's right. That has that always stuck with me. Like to me, some of the toughest people I know are, are 83 years old, but they do what's right when it's hard to do what's right. Day mm. after day after day after day. I, I love that definition. I think it resonates in in my how I try to lead myself, which is the most difficult person to lead anyways, is yourself. In my faith walk, like, do I do what's right when it's hard to do what's right? I I toughness in baseball, Chris, it's it, it resonates with all of our sports. I know it does, and certainly in our faith walk. One thing I, th- I like that you said about that, Jimmy, you said do what's right. And here's the thing. And this is, this is, to me, very biblical, obviously. But you, you know when, when you're wrong, Jimmy, and you admit you're wrong? Uh-huh. You're not wrong anymore. When you're wrong and yeah, you, you admit right. you're wrong, you're not wrong anymore. Like, whether you're fighting with your spouse, whether whatever you're doing in your life, like, think about those situations that come up when you own it and be like, baby— I shouldn't have talked to you that way. I'm wrong. I was completely wrong. Well, guess you're right mm-hmm. now. But we get so caught up with a lot of times with, yeah. I'm going to win my argument. I'm going to win this debate. I'm dug in. Oh, crap. She just brought up a really good point. Like, but you know what? I'm going to finish. I'm going to finish where I started. My flag is planted. <laughs> no, no. But we can say, I'm wrong. Like, I was wrong. I was absolutely wrong. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said that to a friend, to a family member, uh, to, to someone you coach. Like, uh, all, like that is the definition of being right to me in, in, in a way that you can really show that toughness and show that ability to, to be right because yeah. you become right yeah. when, you, when you do that, I think. Mm. Yeah, yeah, well, that and that literally are some of the, you know, I, I've said to Ben a few times, like a lot of you guys would take a bullet for your wife, but you won't grab her hand and pray with her. Like, which one's tougher? Wow. You know what I mean? Like, what? Wh- which hey, one's tougher? I'll, I'll say like, this, and I tell my kids that I coach, like, uh, is it? I'll say this, though. It is awkward. It, it can be awkward. 100%, just full disclosure, like everybody out there who's saying, yeah. like, but that's what you, makes it tough. Yes. No, but that's what that's yeah. what makes it tough, right? Do you, you, yeah. And so this is my point. Like, I tell our boys, is it tougher to push the kid who cussed at you under his breath, or is it tougher to walk away from him? Which one's tougher? Because to me, somebody says something ugly to me under my breath, that's the easy thing to do is to push him. It is. The tough thing to do is to walk away and play the next play. That's the tough thing. So if we're about being tough dudes, right? If we're about being tough dudes, like let's do, let's choose the tougher thing, which really leads to my my next question. You, you mentioned your wife a few, a few times. It's obviously near and dear to your heart. Coach me up on a guy who's who's all over the map, 
speaking and broadcasting, who's coaching high school football, who's who's trying to be an intentional dad. I'm, I'm imagine you got other business things going on too. Coach me up on how you keep your wife. What's her name? Lindsay. Lindsay. How do you keep Lindsay first? How do you keep her first? Man, th- this is a great question. The, the first thing that that I do with with my children that that I make sure that I stand like my daughter Leah. She's she's twelve. She's she's interesting. She's a seventh grade girl. So there's obviously drama, and we're going through some hormones and, and some interesting times in our life for sure. <laughs> but yeah. I, I always say it all the time. There. I'm yeah. like Leah. Leah, you know who number one is, right? And she's like, yes, I know, it's mommy. First, that's the first thing. The first thing I do is I show my kids who's mm-hmm. number one. And I show them, and listen, mm-hmm. God's first. I'm talking about who's number one on this planet. And that's Lindsay Pollock. That's my wife. Sure. And, and so how do I do that? Chris, when I walk in the door or when I leave my house, I don't kiss my, my seventh grader and my eighth grader, I kiss my wife first. I purposely go right to my baby doll and I give her a kiss and I show my kids she's number one. I, I make sure when she needs something done around the house, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna step up, I'm gonna do it. She ordered something the other day that she wanted for, she, we drive her nuts with our shoes and, and I'm a culprit. I, we put our shoes by the door and it drives her nuts. She ordered this thing. She was like, I measured it. It'll fit right outside the door. We can put all of our shoes. <laughs> well, I told Nicholas last night, I'm like, buddy, mommy's training right now. She's a personal trainer. Mommy's training. I said, buddy, let's get it right now and let's put it together and have it waiting for her so we can put, we, we can put our shoes in. I was like, mm-hmm. she'll be jacked. She'll be so excited out of her mind. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you know, obviously showing my kids, but while I'm busy, you know, making it a point, like she's not just there when I need her to be there. She's not just there when I need an update. Like I want her to know like every day that I'm thinking about her. I want her to know when I wake up, like I'll pray, I'll send a prayer to her, let her know I'm praying for her. Like I'm going to tell her, I'm going to, first thing I do when I call her, I'm going to make sure I ask about her day, not my freaking day. Like we always talk about my crap because it tends to be exciting. And, oh, who did you interview? Who did we do? Like, where, how was the crowd? Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no, 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 no. How's your, how's your knee? Because she had, she, you know, recently she had knee surgery. How's your knee? Uh, you took the kids to school. How were they yeah. this morning? How, how were Nicholas and Leah with you? How did they treat you? Um, so I think, mm-hmm. you know, th- those are tangible things that in my journey, in my walk, that I just, I, I want her to know, man. I, I want her to know where she stands. I, I want her to know how much I love her, and, and I want to show that to her. And that, and that's mm. with every, that's with everybody I'm around. By the way, I, when I'm with my friends and we go on a trip or we go to a concert, like I'm grabbing my bride's hand. Friends are awesome. Friends are great. I love spending time with friends, but I love my baby doll more than anybody, and I love my wife more than anybody, and I want her to be happy. I want her to have fun. So I want to be like, I want to be her number one. I want her to be my number one and not just all the stuff that we tend to get caught up in as opposed to making it very simple. Like, okay, I can wait on her before I go somewhere. I can wait on her, make sure she's taken care of. And I know those are, Mm -hmm. those are little things and I know it's all over the place, but those are just things that are always important to me. No, it's good. Can, no, it's great. Can you just no, say baby great. doll again? Can you just say baby doll one more time? And then that I'll be good. That's my baby doll. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's so southern. That's so beautiful. Yeah. Uh, hey, I, I will. I'll just. I'll throw this in there for for all of us, actually, and reminder me. You mentioned about praying with your wife and holding her hand. I was challenged about four years ago to pray with my family every morning. Not not pray for them. Pray with them. 
Like, go grab Kennedy out of bed as a teenager. Go grab Tiffany before they head off to... She's a cheerleading coach at Kennedy's High School. And we we pray every morning together. It is, I think it's changed the dynamic in my home as much as anything. Because it, it's it's... As a leader, I'm trying to put God in his right place every morning before we leave. And it it's, it's really has, it, I guess it's a challenge. Uh, as you're talking and coaching us up on, Dave, it just made me reflect on how important that time has been with me. So I, I appreciate you saying, grab your wife's hand and pray with her. It's hard to do, but pray with your family, not just for them all mm. the time. Mm. Hey, David, coach us up. We're getting close to the end because you've been, you're so gracious with your time, but Coach us up on a scripture or a story that really impacts you right now. I know you got a bunch of them you could choose from. Just coach us up on one. This is this is really hard. You sent this to me, and I, I absolutely love this exercise of thinking about scripture and what is the best, like motivating or what's the. And obviously, the, the resurrection is the and, and this is the Sunday school answer and is something that you're going to read about, like the story of Christmas, you know, like what, what it means, like the story of Jesus. But one thing that I always continually get touched and I think is just always amazing is you think about Paul and you think about who he was, okay? So Paul, and you think about him biblically, he wrote, you know, over 14 books in the New Testament, probably the most influential person in Christianity in the New Testament outside of Jesus, If you read about Paul and you go back to Acts and you read about Stephen getting stoned to death, who was one of the first, you know, people to be stoned to death that you hear about as a Christian and you hear about, and he was faithful. Well, Paul was there, but Paul's name was Saul. And Saul was a bad dude. He was a young dude at that point, but he was a guy that, he was a guy, Saul, that would go door to door and take Christians and go and prison them. He would do worse and, and, and do worse to him physically. And that wasn't enough for Saul that he now... He went to the high priest and he was like, dude, I want to go get all the Christians. I want to get all of them. And and I want to get them all away. And I want to get rid of, I want to go to the synagogues in Damascus. And I want to get rid of Christianity altogether. It needs to go away. Like I hate Christianity. And Saul is on his way to Damascus to do that very thing. And what happens? He gets hit right in the face with the most powerful thing ever created or ever, ever existed, ever created. God hits him right in the face and is like, what are you doing? What are you doing? He's blind immediately. He's blind for the next three days. Can't see. Like, here's the audible voice of God. And Saul, who has done, killed Christians, imprisoned Christians, from the time he was a boy, chased after trying to make sure Christianity doesn't get bigger, doesn't get more influence. And what does he do? He turns to become Paul and becomes chasing Jesus with everything he has. No matter what you've done in your life, no matter how many times you've screwed up, that's how much God loves us still. Like to take the most, the horrible things you you, you think about in the dark and the things you wish you could go back and undo. It's a part of your story. Like, but I, I just think it's, it's one of the most powerful scriptures, I think, for everybody. And it just, it shows you what someone can do when you're faced with God and you hear God and you answer that call and you can watch him take over your life. And to me, the Christian faith and people go back and forth about debating this, that, and the other. Look at how every single one of the apostles died. Like one of the disciples. Look at how all the disciples died. They died horrible deaths, crucified upside down, stoned to death. Like 
why did they, why didn't they just go, dude, this ain't real. Like, you know what? I'm wrong. Like I was telling y'all about this, but hold up a minute. Like I just kidding. Like, yeah, I'm out. But they, they literally said, no, bro. Like I saw Jesus resurrected. I saw the scars in his hands. Like I saw him die. I saw him rot. Like the, 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 the Bible, the Bible isn't a Jesus story. This is a story about a man that walked the earth that if you read in history about kings, kings get like a footnote, a page, like this king did this. In historical mm-hmm. context and historical references, they didn't write Wikipedia pages back then. Like it was like, what are you going to take from him to move forward? This was a, this was a Samaritan who was born in a manger that nobody knew anything about or cared about that the greatest document of a life was ever historically categorized and it, it became the Bible, but it wasn't written as a, it wasn't the Bible, a Bible story. It was written because of Jesus's life and what he did, the miracles he performed, the prophecies that talked about him coming, the prophecies that he fulfilled and what he did on a cross, what he did to raise out of that grave. And so I just, that story always fires me up. It touches me because it doesn't matter what you've done throughout your life and what you've experienced and the bad things, because God can take your life step by step, small step at a time and make it a little bit better, a little bit better, a little bit better. And there's no telling what he'll do down the road in the future. Amen to that. Woo! Amen to that. And that's a, that's a, really, that's as encouraging story as there is in the Bible. Absolutely right. That's, it doesn't matter where you are in life. And you want to talk about the definition of toughness, Paul. Wow. Oh, my. That's wow. it. No tougher Yeah, dude. that is it. Next to Jesus, Aaron, no tougher yeah. than Paul. David, you have been a phenomenal guest. Phenomenal guest. We had uh, Reese Davis has been on with us, too. I, I know you're a mentor to him, and you lead your life in front of him uh, in a way that challenges him, just like you challenge all of us today. Mm. And we can't wait to watch you this fall. I mean, you're, you're, you are outstanding. You give strong opinions. You're you're uh, enthusiastic about it. You're passionate about it. But more than anything, you're passionate about your walk with God and just having a, a real authentic walk with Him. Like Chris and I, like we're just we're just like you, man, just trying to go through life, trying to honor God with how we're doing it. And man, you coached us up today. And I, I, mm-hmm. I, I can't tell you from, from Chris and I both how much we appreciate who you are, but then giving us your time today as college football is about to begin, brother, man. We love you and we appreciate you coming on with us. Whoa. Well, uh, David, uh, one thing he doesn't lack is energy, which I admire and really appreciate about him. And especially when you get him talking about subjects he's passionate about, like football mm-hmm. and scripture. Uh, boy, you can feel that energy. Uh, what were your takeaways, Jimmy? Man, there's I just I was taking notes the entire time. A um, couple of things there towards the end I want to ask you about was he made a great point that the his followers, Jesus, his followers, they wouldn't die for a lie. And man, I, I've heard that before, but every time I hear that statement, it's like, man, that is so true. That that is so true. You're talking about how easily they could have bailed out and said, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, he's a good dude and all that." I enjoyed my time with him. No, it, they they yeah. they they went all the way. Yeah, right. Yeah, no, I, what I would say is to, to anybody out there listening, if if you're not a, not a believer, a believer, if you're kind of, you know, stuck in neutral right now, I would just encourage you, don't take my word for it, don't take Jimmy's word for it, don't take David Pollock's word for it. Like, investigate 
the legitimacy of Jesus's claims, of, of the Bible's claims. Like, investigate it for yourself. There is a great author out there by the name of Lee Strobel. There's many, but Lee Strobel had a huge impact on my life, and he wrote a series for books. He still writes. You can find him on Twitter. He's a nationally renowned speaker. And Lee Strobel was an atheist uh, Harvard grad who was working as the uh, editor for the uh, law side of the Chicago Tribune. And his wife became a Christian, and he decided to use his investigative reporting skills to go out and disprove Christianity. And he literally spent two years interviewing the experts um, around the world on subjects related to the claims the Bible made. For instance, well, you know, what outside sources besides the Bible do we have of Jesus's existence? Like at first he just had to, like, did this do, is this real? Like, was there mm -hmm. actually a person named Jesus that lived, you know, in that place in time? Can we prove that, right? So he just kind of started like very uh, systematically and with, with actually an anti-bias to try to disprove the claims of Christ. And one of the things that David referenced, he uses as one of his uh, uh, historical uh, proof that 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 Jesus was who he claimed to be is that the disciples, besides John, all died a martyr's death. All of the yep. disciples died a martyr's death. Uh, and it, one of the points you would use in defense of that as evidence that, that Jesus did uh, resurrect is that there are people that would die for something they believe to be true, but nobody would die for something they knew was a lie. Right. Right. So we've seen these yeah. cult, cult mass suicides. Like you've seen mm -hmm. things through the years where people say, I think this is real. I'm willing to die for it. But I don't know yep. if it's real, but I think it is. But the disciples claim to have seen the resurrected Christ. So they either did or they didn't. And if they didn't, that means they died for something they knew they were lying about. And they didn't just die. Like, they got beheaded. They got crucified. Absolutely. They got stoned to death. Um, and we know that biblically and extra biblically, there are accounts of these deaths. Uh, Josephus is a famous Jewish historian that writes about some of this stuff. And so uh, one of Lee Strobel's main points in, in the Case for Christ book, uh, check it out if you haven't seen it, is that um, if you were in a court of law, that's the angle he came at it with. Like, this would be a big part of the case. Like, oh, okay, we have these documented deaths of people that say they saw him. And yes, there's some circumstantial to it, but that's a pretty powerful um, piece of evidence that all these yes. people went to the grave for something they they know that they saw, or at least that's their testimony. Yeah, I, I, I love it. I, I love Lee Strobel. I've read the book. It's It's a phenomenal read. No matter where you are in your in your faith walk, or if you have no faith right now, it, check him it's out. Worth, it, yes. ch check him out. Absolutely, yeah. check him out. I, I always love the topic, and David was so good about Jesus's uh, the tenderness of Jesus was always on display, always on display in his time on earth, and his toughness was also always on display. He always did what's right. He was always obedient to his heavenly father. You think about when he was tempted by, by, by Satan and the times that he met sinners and all the teachings that he had and the religious leaders trying to pin him down and trick him, his answers and his conduct was always out of obedience to his heavenly father, mm. which translates to us, can, and he did what was right when it was hard to do what's right. 
Man, I can't imagine, I cannot imagine the pull on him after a 40-day fast in the desert and Satan's tempting him with all these different things. And he continues to say, it's not about me. It's about my heavenly father. And I, I'm, I'm going to do what's right when it's hard to do what's right. Because I'm sure he had frustration, yeah. a- anger, mad. I can show you in the, in, in the click of my hands. But that, that toughness side of Jesus, I don't think we talk about enough. But it's true and it's, uh, it's, it's authentic. Uh, and it's real, and, yeah. and it's it's impactful, right? Yeah, no, this 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 concept of the lion and the lamb with Jesus, right? There's this yeah. ultimate toughness, but this ultimate compassion. Uh, it's it's tough to wrap your brain around, but certainly an amazing model for for those of us who are trying to follow that way. I, I would say just my main takeaway from his story is mm-hmm. that you know here's a guy that probably was going to be an all pro. Who knows? He might have been a hall of famer. Uh, saying that breaking his neck in the second game of his second season is the best thing that ever happened to him. And, you know, we, a lot of times, probably overly so, people will give you scriptures when you're down and out, and sometimes you want to hear them, sometimes you don't. You don't, yeah. uh, You know, kind of Romans eight twenty eight. hey, man, God works in all things for the good of those who love him. But when you hear somebody who went through something, and people might say, well, yeah, now look at him, he's famous, and, of course, he looks back at that, like, you think he was feeling famous when he was, you know, being told his career ambulance. was over and yeah, yep. in the ambulance on the way. So I just, I think to see a, a living, breathing, thriving example of someone that took, look, it's not, you know, it's not the worst thing. And like, he still walks and moves like, but like, man, you talk about that is a, that is a tough pill to swallow. And the way yeah. he has turned that into such a incredible story and motivation for people that have been, um, through tough circumstances, uh, I just think it, that that part of his journey is uh, really inspirational. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. That, that handling adversity thing is it knocks me back every time, every, every now and then. But man, it's so true to keep our hearts centered on what's most important in life. And David, for him to come out of that saying that adversity was the greatest thing to happen to me, when what a what a tremendous teaching point for all mm-hmm. of us today from. David Pollack, who stood in front of our of our team room and coached us up on a lot of things. So thankful for David today and so thankful again, uh, Chris, for our sponsors. Again, we are counting on you as our listeners, as our teammates, is how we look at it, to subscribe to our podcast. It's free, but it just notifies you when our podcast drops. Uh, give us a rating. Give us a review. We're trying to grow this thing and uh, point, point people to Jesus is what we're trying to do at the end of the day. So... Uh, and just learn, be coached up on life. And David was phenomenal at it today. This Coach Me Up podcast is brought to you by One Country. Check out their incredible giveaways that give back and receive your first month of membership free when you visit onecountry.com slash coach. I can't say enough good things about the heart behind onecountry.com. They are phenomenal. Check those guys out in terms of what they're doing. You want to be a part of it. And Blue Delta Jeans, where each pair of jeans is handmade in the USA to fit you and only you. Visit BlueDeltaJeans.com to get started and use the code UNPACKING, U-N-P-A-C-K-I-N, $100 off your first pair of jeans. Chris, always good to spend time with you, man. Always you good too, to brother. Get, I, I get coached up with you in text messages from week to week and phone calls. You're always coaching me up, and I appreciate it. No, so. man, that, this, is, uh, this has been a blessing, and I'm having a blast. All right, buddy. Until next time, coach me up, man. We'll see you.